welcome to episode 64 of Slaytanic Bearcast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting live from Vladimir Putin's war preparation antechamber, is Dr. Lee Quessence. The commies are coming, Doc. What are we going to do? Well, that'll be consultant in chief general to be, Dr. Lee Quessence. I was going to say, Doc, I I imagine you're uh, rubbing your hands with glee. Uh, well, you know, when, when, when Vlad called me yeah, um, and said, like, you know, it, um, I'm about to unleash chaos and destruction. Um, I need some advice. Will you yeah. help? What the <laughs> hell else am I going to do? <laughs> now, Doc, I don't want to make light of, you know, what is a very, a very, very serious situation that is going to have, could potentially have dreadful impact on, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Um the reason I've introduced the subject is, is, is to try to help me understand what's going on there, Doc. Can you can you drop some knowledge bombs for me? Why is the Ukraine so important to Russia? Why is the Ukraine so important to the West? How have we got to this place in the How have we got to this place in the first place, if you will? Um, the Ukraine is a candidate for being the most resource uh, natural resource rich country in the world. Right. Uh huh. Um, it was where the majority of um, useful arable farming and mineral extraction was done in the days of the Soviet Union, and the Russian Federation has been badly hurt um, by it going independent, and they would very badly like to get it back. Yeah. Um, the capitalist powers of Western Europe, I think, are dependent on the Ukraine for porn starlets. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and um, Hungary. Hungary's my go-to. The girls from Budapest... Um, and I suspect many of those are Ukrainian. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's difficult to tell. Uh, Hungarians tend to be darker, I think. Oh, okay. Um, not, 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 not throwing around any broad ethnic stereotypes. Are you, are you throwing shade, quite literally, Doc? So uh, <laughs> I, I think that's the reason that... Um, uh, Ukraine is, 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 is sort of endlessly contested over. The Russians would also very, very dearly like to have more ocean access than they do already, because since losing the Ukraine and Belarus, uh-huh. the, the only ocean access the Russian Federation has got is Vladivostok, which is on the Pacific side. Um, and you know what? If, if, if you're going to um, convincingly prosecute naval warfare, um, you need something like a deep water port that you can use, oh, I don't know, all year round instead of the three months of the summer. And it's it's a hell of a long journey, isn't it, from uh, the Pacific Ocean, you know, right around right around Africa to, to get to the Atlantic. Yes, it is, um, mm-hmm. and you've got to come past a, a, um, a lot of um, NATO allies. Yeah, sure. To get yeah. there, so um, it's a- when when sort of old school South Africa was still in business, then maybe they'd just about have been okay. Mm. Um, I'll put it this way: when uh, when Chile and Argentina were fascist, no, they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, the the conflicts in Indochina um, in the fifties and sixties and seventies were partly predicated by Soviet desire for an Indian Ocean port. Mm-hmm. Um, they would very much like an Atlantic Ocean port, but um, Belarus. Um, Belarus, intriguingly enough, stayed part of the Soviet Union, um, which very few, very few people seem to realise. People seem to think that the Soviet Union went out of business. But no, uh, the Soviet Union still exists in Belarus and Transnistria. Um, 
I thought that Belarus was a separate country, but it but it was kind of kind of, kind of had you know like a special relationship with Russia. Um, well, it's a separate country. Yeah. Um, but it's um, they never officially renounced the Soviet Union. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so on paper, it's still part of the the Soviet the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so is this one tiny little bit of like somewhere between Ossetia and South Georgia called Transnistria. Yeah, in fact, I was reading about that this very week, that, that particular region, which I'd never heard of previously. Um, uh, as far as I can see, Transnistria is, is actually, a, it's kind of a portable country. I think it moves. Mm. Well, it, 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 it's disputed, isn't it, I think? So, um, you know, as kind of the pro-Russian... Um, rebels gain a foothold or whatever um hang on duck my battery's about to die for some reason even though i'm all plugged in hang on what's going on oh there we go no it's all right everything is saved don't worry duck um so yeah i was just curious really about that situation because dear listener at time of recording um it is exactly one week before this episode will drop for you to listen to in your opinion, Doc, do you think that you know Russia will have, will have invade is invasion inevitable or what's going to happen, Doc? Um, I'm going to lean very heavily on responsiblestatecraft.com, mm-hmm. which is my 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 favourite go to, um, and their op-ed. Um, Responsible statecraft don't get much attention in the popular press because. I don't want to say it's for experts only, but the the writing tends to be pretty dense, right? Um, and you you need a working knowledge of the stuff they're talking about and the language of political science before you can really really make a lot of headway with it. Um, and their their op-ed basically says um, Russia is literally about as likely to invade Ukraine soon. As they were, as as the Soviet Union was likely to invade West Germany in the nineteen sixties, which is, uh, you know, there's a threat they could if they wanted, but you know, do do they have the will? Um, would it gain them really anything in the long term? Um, and their opinion seems to be that by placing a reassuring Russian presence on the border of the Ukraine, they can foster pro-Russian sentiment within the Ukraine. So. You know, it, it's kind of posturing in a way, having like a hundred thousand troops built up on the Ukrainian border. Um, you can call it posturing, but uh, I mean that's um, until nineteen forty-two. That, that's that's how international diplomacy was done. Yeah. Um, so I mean, when when someone bothered you, you massed an army on their border. Mm-hmm. Um, and then typically the, this, this, this would result in a, uh, a, a limited war or a border skirmish. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until, I mean, some people would say 1914, but I would say 1942. It was by no means inevitable that a border skirmish or a border incursion would inevitably result in an all-out war. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Japanese aggression against the U.S., was expected to produce the results of a treaty that, that, that it, they expected the US to want to renegotiate a treaty. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think immediate all-out war was the outcome that anyone predicted and certainly no one wanted. 
So that was a Japanese miscalculation, was it, Doc? Well, it, it was a miscalculation based on historical on, on, on historical evidence, um, because I mean, p- particularly in Europe, um, that was that was what diplomacy was. Mm. Um, when one of your neighbours annoyed you, you'd march your army up to their border and sit there for a bit, mm-hmm. um, and they would march their army up to their border on the opposite side. And as I say, some, sometimes there'd be a battle or a, a skirmish or a, a very limited war. And it would normally end up with some treaty being renegotiated or the border being moved some distance. So, I mean, if you look at, say, um, a map of Europe in the 17th century, you'll notice that um, Turkey and Lithuania have a border. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the map of the same territory 400, 300 years later, and Lithuania is a tiny dot the size of Wales in the extreme north of Europe. Sure. Um, and Turkey is, the, the border of Turkey is a few hundred miles south of where it used to be. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, this is, I think, and I hate this expression, what I'm going to call the West, need to be very, very careful about interceding in a fight between historically Russian or historically Slavic people. Um, I mean, it, there seems to be an understanding now, and God knows why it, happened, why it took so long, that in getting involved in other people's fights doesn't necessarily, almost never results in a happy outcome for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and because even if you manage to fix the problems in the short term, sooner or later you're going to have to withdraw your peacekeeping force or your occupying force, and that's when things go really, really badly to shit. Yeah, well, nature hates a vacuum, doesn't it? So, and generally pours in negative black stuff to replace it. Well, and uh, I mean, when when occupiers withdraw, you're left with a bunch of old scores to settle, and you know uh, who was a collaborator and who yeah. was um, who was on the wrong side amongst the resistance, um, sure. and um, you know were the resistance really such good people? And uh, I mean. <clears throat> You will have noticed, for instance, that the uh, history has decided that the French resistance um, were the heroes of the occupation they were involved in, mm-hmm. um, but the Viet Cong are not the heroes of the occupation they were involved in. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's there's a fascinating book called Guns and Rain, The Role of Spirit Mediums in East African Independence. Um, which draws exactly that comparison between um, the second Chimurenga in um, what's now Zimbabwe um, and the Mau Mau in what's now Kenya. Um, sorry, I, I just went down a bit of a rabbit hole. What have we been listening to, Doc? Um, I have been listening, well, I, I'm, I'm still on a bit of an exotica trip. Yeah. Um, or tip, or trip, both. Either way. Um, and I've sort of gone up to date, I've gone from the late 40s and early 50s up to the mid nineties now. So um, this is sort of thematic because obviously we're listening to, we're, we're reviewing an album from 1994. Yeah. Um, and 1994 was, I think the first time I became aware of exotica as a phenomenon and as a musical style. And I had a long and fascinating journey with it starting from then, which continues to this day. Um, I plan to talk a little about this each week from now on, because I think it's an interesting historical context. There is, if you like, an overground history of the exotica underground in the 1990s, and the overground history 
of it is that um, there was kind of a, a, a new wave of easy listening. Um, and it turned out that a lot of the original artists were still alive and very, very happy to have a, a, a bit of an Indian summer. And that's what happened. So a very short version for week one. And um, my experience of it, I didn't even know there was a revival in cocktail music. And I didn't even know it was in, it was, it was big news in the, um, the cultural capitals of the world. I came to it the same way as I came to everything, and that was very original, um, what people I knew were listening to. Um, and listeners can't see this, um, but you can. Um, because I was um, doing university radio at the time, I used to get promotional copies of various things, and some of them were very, were, were very interesting. And I don't know whether this was influenced by this global resurgence in the interest in, in, in interest in exotica of which I was previously unaware or whether it was something completely independent um, but one of the first records I got which was um, you will remember because I made you listen to it thousands of times is the soundtrack to uh, Vampiros Lesbos of course yeah mm -hmm. um, so that was the first thing I acquired the second one was the soundtrack album to a German film or a series of German films called Schulmachin Report right Mm -hmm. um, which is a rather delightful young lady on the cover there, Doc. It's 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 the great thing about um, releases from Cripple Dick Records that they they, they very often have excellent covers. Cripple um, Dick Records, did you, did you just say? Yes, that's not a great name for it. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, that, that's that's that's, <laughs> the name, that's the name of the record label that's, that's brilliant. Um, Re-released all of this stuff. <laughs> um, Possibly my favourite record label name after Lesbionic Candy Ass. Great. Um, oh, you are, you are um, a never-ending pit of wonder, Doc. It's marvellous. <laughs> um, and what today's cut is from is this, this, this one called Sushi 2003. Uh -huh. um, and in those days, nobody, had, nobody was familiar with the expression, should be okay. Unlike mm -hmm. now, when everyone in the world is is is, is obviously boundlessly. Well, look, I mean, all the listeners are nodding away, and of course, Doc, we know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, it was what was referred to as Japanese club pop in those sure. days, um, and that's where today's cut comes from. Um, it's the ever wonderful Natsuki Mari, mm -hmm. who I believe is probably in in her seventh or eighth decade of her life now. Yep. Um, yeah. Let's take have a listen. What's the track called, Doc? Um, Ichibanski no Monoa, mm -hmm. which Translation? is my favourite thing. Uh, my favourite things. Thank you, sir. Here we go. Ichibanski na no wa tabako osu koto. Anata ga itsu mo sutta gypsy no e no kaite aru ryogiri no oishii tabako. Mukashi no joyu no yo ni kuwae tabako de kemuri ga me ni shimite そして私は涙を流す。別に気にしない。あなたが帰るまで、今日も泣いて暮らす。今日も泣いて暮らす。
Well, that's all rather delightful, Doc. Yeah, she, did. she seems to be talking about tobacco. Um, that, that, that's the one word I picked out. Is that one of her favourite things? Um, one of her favourite things is the smell of cigarettes, she says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, lipstick stains on um, hotel restaurant napkins. Very different to the Mary Poppins interpretation, isn't it? These are a few of my favourite things. Yes. Yeah, very, very yeah. different. I like that. I'd, I'd rather like it. Doc. I don't mind a bit of kind of lounge lounge music, as it were. And as a desperate pervert, I do have a penchant for the uh, for the Japanese ladies. So, yeah, absolutely marvellous, Doc. How about you? There we go. Mine um, is track two from the Mighty Iron Maiden's latest release. Um they dropped an album almost kind of in secret uh, last September. The album's called Senjutsu. Again, there's a Japanese connection because Senjutsu is the Japanese word that means either like strategy or tactics, basically. Um, and harks back to the, 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 the good old days of the samurai, apparently. Um, track two is called Strategio. Um, and the reason I, I want to play it is just because it, absolutely highlights what went wrong with Iron Maiden when Adrian Smith left the band for those few for those five or six years because there is within the first minute there is just such clear evidence of the 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 the, 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 the magic the gold dust that Adrian brings to this band are we ready yeah here we go With the other guitar line wonderfully fits with Bruce's vocals wonderfully, and just he just dances on the on on the on on the fretboard. It's subtle, it's nuanced, and only Adrian can do this shit. Doc, he's essential to the to, you know to the vibrancy that is I Maiden. He's one of those strange players, isn't he? Um... Nothing he plays sounds particularly comp- uh, it, no. it's I couldn't play it, but nothing he, he plays sounds virtuoso level. No. Um, and it's almost intangible what, what, what it is that he, he brings that, and, and I completely agree with you, that um, nobody else quite manages. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any idea about what, what it might be? No, not really. It's, it's, it, I think it's just like an innate sense of melody. Mm. Um, 
and, 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 and I, I, you know, I, I could add really nothing more to it than that. He, he, he just has an ear for an exquisite four or five notes that, 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 that just raise the game of the track. Because that track would be perfectly fine without that, without that little high lead line in it. But the presence of it just takes it from, you know, like, and from a seven out of ten to a nine out of ten. And it's a peculiar thing, isn't it? Because um, there are plenty of Iron Maiden copyists in the world, mm-hmm. but not or, or, no band that I can think of try to do that. Mm-hmm. You're right, um, because I think it's impossible. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think th- I think you can I think you can ape the bombast. You can ape the, like the gallop. You can ape, even ape yeah. kind of Bruce's vocal style to a certain degree, but I, I, you just cannot, you cannot reproduce innate fucking genius, can you, Doc? Um, I'm I'm really torn on this one. I, mm. I I have great difficulty sort of. I have great difficulty believing that there are things such as talent or yeah. innate genius or anything yeah. like that. Uh-huh. And I mean, this is. In the end, this is because I'm like whatever else I am. Um, I'm a cunt. I, I, I'm a physicist at heart. <laughs> You're a what? Um, sorry, Doug. I laughed over you. Uh, I'm a physicist at heart. Yeah, and sure. People would like you to believe that the history of science is the history of lone geniuses ha- having moments of inspiration, but it's almost never like that. Mm-hmm. Um, science, like musicianship, generally takes hours of practice um, and solitude and getting far more things wrong than you ever get right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I have a real problem, sort of... Belief is the I have a really hard problem getting behind the idea that some people are just born gifted or some people are just born innate geniuses or something like this. Yeah. Um, but then there appears to be material evidence to the contrary now, doesn't there? Mm. Well, there does, Doc. Um... I, I, I'm not so sceptical about it. I think you know. I, I think it is it is possible that people. Do, we, we we talked about it recently. I can't I can't remember if, if it was on this podcast or on our on our science fiction one, different Doctor Sam on shit. Where I was talking about the time when I encountered some famous people in the wild, and they just yeah. fucking glowed from the inside. Um, we talk quite a lot about what what precisely is. Um, the allure of celebrity. Mm. Uh, I mean, in a slightly more serious case, what is it about such a tiny, inadequate, and prepossessing individual as Adolf Hitler who was able to motivate 100 million people to follow him? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I, the answer is, of course, I don't know. Mm. Um, and I mean, this kind of being a bit more relevant to Slayer, what is it that makes people turn into serial killers? And Bizarrely enough, why do serial killers have this this level of celebrity and and and, and apparent charisma around them? Well, I was going to say that, and you just you just pulled the rug from underneath me. It's that C word. It's that charisma, isn't it, Doc? And yeah. that's intangible, really. Um, um, so yeah, that's Stratego by Maiden, track two off their latest album. Um, they're still going strong, and that album is a grower, Doc. I wasn't I wasn't sure the first four or five listens, but the more I listen to it, the better it's getting um no chow time this week um is that because we're so fucking good it's because we're perfect um we got a bit we got we got a nice bit of listener feedback though um oh yeah 
this is from somebody, I presume it's a guy, but I'm not quite sure, um, called Thane of the Woods on Twitter. Um, at Thane of the Woods, if you want to go and check this person out. Um, and what they said, they said, at Vercast, they said, just wanted to say hello, and I'm late to the gate, seeing your podcast. I like that expression, late to the gate. That's yeah, great, that is. I'm late to the gate. I wondered initially, maybe, you know, this is somebody who speaks English as a second language and they've just like translated a phrase from their own language into English. But no, the rest of the English is good enough for me to discount that. Maybe um, they just really like national hunt racing. <laughs> maybe that's the answer, Doc. Wow. Um, I'd like to the gate to see your podcast. Please keep up the podcast for the whole catalogue. I'm just getting back into Slayer. And this is fantastic. That's what they say, Doc. There we go. Oh, How about that? Isn't that nice? Makes it all worthwhile, though it? Yes, it does. Really does. Um, do you want a topic? Yes, very much, please. Um, give me a number between one and 17. Four. 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 Bands that have released an experimental album that you think failed. I've got two. You go first, because I, I suspect one of the ones that you come out with might be one of the ones that I come out with, and I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder this time. That's all right, Doc. Yeah, all right, my first one, I'm going with Cold Lake by Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost, legendary, influential, like almost like death doom, pioneer, not pioneers, but you know, really kind of sludgy, heavy as fuck. Um, are they Austrian or Swiss stock? I, I can never remember Celtic Frost. I think that's, um, I believe um, Tom G. Warrior, at least, is Swiss. Is he? Yeah, let's let, let, let have a quick look on. Um, Encyclopedia Metallum for confirmation. But I'd, yes, Swiss is what, what's in my head. Yeah, Switzerland. Here we go. Um, Zurich. Um, <clears throat> hence the name, hence the title Cold Lake, one would assume. Cold Lake. What, what, what's the connection with Zurich, Doc? Um, I would imagine the lake in Zurich is really quite cold being high to the mountains. Yes. They did Into the Pandemonium. I 
think we've got to make a theory on. And they wrote the single best line in the history of lyrics of the in the English language. Go on. Chant the cause of pandemonium and recite, and recite the words, the of, words spell. of spell. That's it. <laughs> you got it, Doc. Um, so, for their third full release, because Morbid Tales, even though it is, I think it generally gets considered as an album, is actually officially an EP. For their, their third full release, they went all kind of kind of hair metal on our asses. Oh my um, god! <laughs> a lot musically and visually, like aesthetically. Um, the, 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 suddenly, Tom G. Warrior looked like, like the lead fucking singer from. Warrant, you know, like the cherry oh pie, God. cherry pie kind of stuff. She's my cherry pie. And the music was just so god awful. It, you know, they'd lost all the heaviness. It was very rock oriented. Doc, it was an absolute catastrophe. I'm going to give you the. Um, here we go. So, 16 people have reviewed it on Encyclopedia Metallum, and it's got an average. An average review score of 33%. And, 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 you know, I know you can't go on aggregators that much because people do bias them, but it ain't far wrong, Doc. It's a shocker. Yeah. Go on, Doc. Have you got one? Well, um, I thought you were going to come up with, because we, we've mentioned it a couple of times, what's, you're going to have to remind me of the title, what's Morbid Angel's ill-advised industrial album? Well, that's the I album, isn't it? It's ill-ad... Divinus Satanus, something like that. Hang on, I'll look it up. You, you vamp, Doc, and I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Well, presumably because um, Morbid Angel was sharing a record label with Godflesh. Um, and, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, 
I almost can't believe this. There was a time when Godflesh threatened to become quite popular. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. I know. But it, but it's true. The doc's not. They're not. The doc tells no lies. Um, it's. Um, I suspect it was round about the time when people such as Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails became quite popular, and probably everyone was casting around for every label was casting around for their own version of Nine Inch Nails or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and um, if that was the case, it, it looks like sort of unbelievably and unforgivably, like almost a bit of bandwagon jumping on Morbid Angel's part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, if um, a hair metal reference, um, if someone's cracking out the cherry pie, then they want a slice of it. <laughs> very good, Doc. Very, very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like we script this shit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Almost. But we do not. <laughs> That's, that, 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 yeah, good. Uh, Illud Divinum Insanus is the name of the uh, Morbid Angels. I record. There we go. second one doc um i'm gonna go for cause for conflict by the mighty creator For me, it's the only bum note in their, what, 13 or 14 album career. Um, In a way, I kind of understand what they were doing because I think it came out kind of as grunge was hitting and they kind of wanted to make a statement that, you know, we're fucking creative. We're not influenced by this grunge shit. Um, And so... But at the same time, I think they felt they couldn't kind of keep doing the same old kind of thrash crap because that just was not popular enough. And so what they did instead was kind of like a super heavy industrial tinged album. Um, they dropped all the melody, Doc. That's what, they, that's what went wrong. They dropped all the melody, all the lead lines, all the things that make fucking creator cool as fuck were gone, stripped away, all the dynamics. It was just heavy, like pummel you. Um, non-stop barrage of kind of intensity. I really didn't like it, Doc. It's the only creator album that I never, ever listened to. Um, we're spotting a bit of a theme here, aren't we? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that, that when, um, and 
Would it have been at about the same time? Would this would that also have been at about 19, 1994, 1993, 1994 ish? Sounds about right to me, Doc. I'll, I'll just verify, but that yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, this is a harder question for me than you might think because um, a lot of the bands who I like tend to cast their net quite widely and tend to, tend to kind of paint on a, a, a broad canvas. Um, I can think of lots of bands who, for instance, did an experimental hip hop album. Yeah. But then nothing else those bands did was anything that I liked in the first place. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of, I can think of bands who've had successful experimental albums more than, um, so I, I'm, I'm actually hard up against it here. That's all um, right. Look. Ninety-five calls for conflict. So yeah, we, we it's kind of in the, in the we're in the right ballpark, aren't we? Yeah, we're in the right area. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm going to make a controversial statement now. Um, the album when. Um, uh, the Who decided that um, rock opera um, was the future. Oh yeah, Tommy, you're talking about. Yeah. forgot that they were a rock and roll band yeah and, uh-huh. and decided that they had to make important musical statements and sure. as, as an album it, it's it's got its moments it really has but the whole thing is just so fucking misbegotten from you know from from, from start to finish you, you have a bit of a blind spot for rock opera don't we? we were talking recently about uh, mr loaf and, and, and you confess that you never kind of jammed with his stuff you know and it's they're not that dissimilar now are they no no they're not no uh-huh um uh, wasn't Meatloaf actually in the movie version of Tommy? Was he? I don't know. Um, I believe he was. Um, I oh. know Elton John was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's a peculiar thing because the the next time the Who decided to go out and do and and, and do a double concept album, um, it worked much better because that was actually a concept album um, about rock and roll fandom, basically. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they were they could comment on the thing they wanted to comment about using the style that they did best. What's um, that called, Doc? That that, that the album Quadrophenia.
Well, of course it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, seen the film, bored me shitless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, I mean, it, it's still... It's still a ambling, like, borderline directionless, thinks too much of itself album, but it... It has got it has got some good tracks on it. It yeah. has got some. Good. Well, um, we, we've discussed in the past, you know, the, the, the who are potentially, you know, alongside the, maybe Queen, um, you know, the the greatest singles band of all time. You know, that who where, where you never actually want to listen to a full fucking album. I, I think that's absolutely spot on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The Who album that um, blew my tits off that I'd never heard until surprisingly recently. Um, was the one that kind of um, they they made, and it was like uh, Roger Daltrey's payback um, for taking part in Tommy, um, which I don't really think he was terribly enthusiastic about, and, and, and kind of in exchange, um, he wanted to do a very immediate, um, like very harsh, heavy rock and roll album, and that's so immediately afterwards, and they recorded it in two evenings, and that's the line that leads. Oh yes, the legendary album. line that leads, yeah. hadn't heard it until quite recently um and it blew my tits off yeah great mm-hmm. um yeah should i give should i give you my, my my last one yeah go ahead it's uh it's called lulu l-u-l-u it's by um it's a collaboration between um metallica and of all people lou reed um it is quite simply one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life (laughs) the blues laced monstrosity Lou Reed apparently can't sing I would cut my legs and tits off when I think of Boris Karloff and Kinski in the dark of the moon. It made me dream of Nosferatu, trapped on the Isle of Dr. Moreau. Oh, wouldn't it be lovely? Um, 
at least not on this particular effort. Him and James, James's voice simply do not jive in any way. Um, what they were thinking is beyond anybody's wildest imagination. It's it's just catastrophic. Um, and, and the strange thing about it is the timing of it, because Metallica had, had recently released, I say recently, recently for them, but three years ago, they'd released an album um, called Death Magnetic. Most Metallica fans thought it was a kind of a bit of a, what's that phrase, Doc? A bit of a return to form. Um, <laughs> and and then they decide to drop this bloody hideous, hideous endeavour. Let me give you, on on, um, on Encyclopedia Metallum, 25 reviews, 19% is the uh, average score for it. Um, not received well by anybody i have not seen a single example of anybody kind of putting up a defensive case for this album it's a it's a real it's a it's just a fucking turkey doc it's outrageous i'll confess um, i'd never heard of it mm-hmm. um lou reed of course has the honor of making an album which many consider to be the worst album ever made by a known artist on a record label and that's metal machine music sure He's, he's, he's a good old mess of contradictions, is, uh, is Lou Reed. Mm. Um, the Velvet Underground, of course, are famous for their... Um, released in an era when the blues was treated with borderline sycophantic reverence. Sure. And the Velvet Underground set out purposefully to be, uh, like, um, as far away from the blues as you could get and still be rock and roll, which is why they, they, they have, like, a, egregious... Welsh folk influences and egregious European influences. Yeah. Um, and they won't play in time and they won't have anything like a complicated rhythm. Sure. Um, and it, it, it amuses me and pisses me off um, when musicians who came up in the 60s and want to get back to their roots and play the blues. Yeah. 
um, it amuses me just as much because I mean, like primarily Reed um, hated hippies, hated anything to do with California, hated progressive music and heavy music because he said it was like it was pretty much stoner bollocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, real men don't smoke weed; they stuff industrial quantities of heroin up their arm like Lou does, evident. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that makes you a fucking man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually. Did, did you know uh, that's a line on a Velvet Underground song? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, if you feel inclined to go and listen to the song "Heroin," you will hear Lou make that precise statement in those precise words. I don't know just where I'm going. It's just the strangest thing that kind of those people should ever do a collaboration. Mm. Um, Terrible, Doc. Terrible. Um, I think we need to move on. Don't forget, guys, yeah. you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slightanicvercast.gmail.com. Um, let's get on with the show. Welcome to part two of the show. Here we're going to play through the track, stop it from time to time, and have a chinwag. But before that, we've got a bit of a confession to make. This is actually the second time we're recording this episode, um, because about two weeks ago, we actually did the record for this particular track. And here's the thing, guys. We didn't actually hit record. So we got us, we sat and had a lovely chat for a couple of hours. Had great fun, Doc, by the way. You know, I've really enjoyed it. But then, <laughs> but then at the end, I kind of realised, oh, fuck, we haven't recorded it. It was a nightmare. So, yeah, apologies, guys. Uh, this, this is our second run, time through. So it is possible we'll be a bit, a bit, a bit briefer, a bit less, even potentially you know, kind of less eloquent, less verbose than normal, just because I don't think we want to give the impression that, you know, that, that we're kind of reciting stuff we've already said before, Doc. What do you reckon? Yeah, um, something has just occurred to me. Yeah. Literally just occurred to me this second. Um, approximately since you and I have been doing these two projects in parallel, um, I've revived my on-off interest in a particular crucial turning point in the history of jazz, which is like the years 1958 to 1962. I've been going over a lot of all of that stuff. I've suddenly realised why that is. Um, it's, I've been wanting to listen to music that sort of reflects the way that we're working at the moment. In other words, a lot of improvisation live in the studio. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and just press the record button and record what comes out. That's right. That's track. There yeah. it is. You got it. Um, and so, listeners, you're gonna ha- you're gonna be having a bit more of a rehearsed performance today. Um, Good point. 
let us know what you think. Yeah, good point, Doc. Yeah, really interesting. Um, today's track is uh, track one from um, Divine Interface. A bit weird because we've already recorded tracks two and three, but we're having to backtrack now to, to track one. Um, so, you know, so things like we can't pretend like we haven't kind of got used to Paul Bostoff's drumming style. You know what I mean? We're not going to bullshit you. Um, talking of which, is the track, which I seem to remember, kicks off with a bit of spectacular Paul Bostoff. So let's get into it. listeners will of course realize that that's the music we use for for the intro to this very podcast statement of intent there in it doc you know we've got a new kid in town a new kid behind the kind of behind the kit we're gonna kick the album off with him front and center basically yeah now um this thought also crossed my mind um i'd love to get to know is this a thing in american sports um, I suspect it might be. I suspect it might be a thing in gridiron football or basketball or something that when you have a new star signing um, for the new season, um, do you put them front at, uh, front and centre and let them do make and, and let them make the first play in the first match of the first seat of, of, of the new season? Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect that might be a thing because I mean it's it's brave, isn't it for? Um, a band who have up until now never had a lineup change, five albums with not one lineup change. Yeah. Um, and they have the first lineup change and they give the new guy the opening bars of the album. Do you think that, Doctor, though, is because they knew full well the importance of Dave in the band? So they knew that they were losing a key ingredient, a key component, almost you know, kind of the, 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 the rock at the centre that kind of holds the band together, gives them their kind of uniqueness. They've lost that, and suddenly this guy's gone. So we've got to replace him. Obviously this, obviously this fucking kid can play drums, no doubt about it. Um, but we've just, it's almost like we've got to convince the fans from the first few seconds. Um, and I'm going to carry on from there. Um, and I'm going to support your statement with by suggesting when you're 18 years old and forming your first band, uh, it's like forming your first startup and you get away with the personnel that you can get, usually your mates. Yeah. Um, when you're at the stage you are now in Slayer's career, when they're effectively the executive managers of a mid-sized corporation mm. and they can make what hiring decisions they like, um, then they need to be shown to be proud and confident in the hiring decision they've made. Yeah. Um, it's not going to do any good to have effectively a new member of the board and then try and hide them away and pretend that's no, that, and, and pretend that nothing has changed. Sure. I agree, Doc. I agree. I think it's a wise decision, and I think it makes for a kick-ass start to the track, by the way. Well, definitely. Yeah, here we go. 
love that riff, Doc. It's so off kilter. It's so weird. It's really hard to learn how to play. Just how to hit that rhythm. Not the double strumming, the pattern. Um, and then once you've got it, how hard is it to play once you've figured out how to like how to play in that weird rhythm? It's dead easy. Yeah, yeah. Once you've got the rhythm nailed, it's dead yeah. easy. But getting the rhythm is pretty tricky. Here we go. You know the feeling when I try to take control. Can't beat the rush that leaves the suicidal hole. It's defense, no one destroying the human heart. The taste of blood can rip your soul apart. Devils and divers and not discriminate. A state of mind that becomes the ultimate end. After reaction, the light is not immune. To the death of human nature inside of me and you. is new for Slayer, isn't it? They, 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 we've never heard anything quite like this before. No. Um, and uh, let's have a think about what was happening in popular cultural history. Um, at the end of the last album, um, I sort of asked an open question, which was South of Heaven, um, sorry, uh, Seasons in the Abyss was released as a single um, it had some decent promotion. It had quite a nice video. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we sort of left the hanging question, why wasn't that the biggest single um, in the world at that time? Well, you know, in kind of like alternate circles. Well, I feel the need to remind you how weird the world of pop culture was in 1990. Mm-hmm. There was a ton of stuff in influx and a ton of like the old certainties or things that you thought you knew that were about to be well as it turned out they weren't overturned at all but they seemed as though they were about to be overturned forever um i mean really strange stuff like a television program as weird as twin peaks becoming a bona fide hit Like a, a proper, massively popular, the, the, the weirdest television program since The Prisoner. We want information. 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 Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> And it becomes like a, a, a proper hit that's, that, that tens of millions of people watch. Um, things like, um, well, the thing you can't avoid is, uh, like first Epic by Faith No More.
give it away by Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then, obviously, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana becoming, like, proper top 10 singles. kind of my point it, it, it it's still a bit kind of alternate isn't it because top 10 sure but but they, they never went to number one did they? they they were not like the mass market appeal um but mass market then um mass market was slushy ballads yeah uh-huh um you know lots of mariah carey lots of brian adams lots of celine dion um sure. there was it was one of those weird periods in history where there was nothing notionally even... There was no such thing as rock for adults, was yeah. there? Mm-hmm. Um, the Elder Statesman hadn't made convincing records for years. I mean, nowadays, um, there's nothing remotely... What, what men in their 50s buy to put in the CD player in their Audi um, is the record that Oasis have released most recently. There's quote-unquote rock music for adults now. And in the past, there was too. Um, but those few years... What would they be, Doc? Like, like now, uh, like a, a man that's 45 years old, let's say, um, goes to HMV to buy a CD. What's he buying? Oasis. Oh, so, 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 so a band that has been defunct for the best part of like eight years. Oh, so I, I didn't realise they were defunct. I, I, I actually thought they'd carry on cranking out essentially the same album every two years until. <laughs> some no, I don't think so. No, no, no. Okay. I, I think they're done and dusted. Um, um, so what they're buying? Because I don't know the answer. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not challenging you. I just don't fucking know. There's got to be like one of those um, bland identikit. Um, don't call so, me a like punk Snow band. Patrol or something like that. Something like that, or Muse, yeah. or yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, Kasabian. Yeah, uh, something not too weird. Nothing that will alarm the neighbours. Yeah, um, sure. but just so you can convince yourself that um, you know, uh, I'm not old. I bought new trainers this year. Yeah, it's got guitars in it, so I've got hair on my balls, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh-huh. Fucking um, pussies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing like that for those very for those very weird few years, mm-hmm. um, and the, the the crown was up for grabs. Like the the 
Um, we were talking about conflict in Central Europe earlier on, and the, there, was, there was a vacant throne, like with a bunch of dukes prowling around it, wondering who would be brave and foolhardy enough to sit in it, because, mm. uh, you know, the throne was vacant and anyone could call themselves king, but they were likely to get assassinated 10 minutes later. Sure, we, we do meander, don't we, Doc, in our conversations. You know, one minute we're talking about impending war and the history of Europe, and the next we're waffling on about snow patrol and Kasabian, Doc. Well, I think it's important because I, this is the first album, this, this is the first Slayer album that I was definitely, like, that I was definitely an adult. In between the previous album and this one, it had become legal for me to drink, smoke and fuck. And sure. vote and yeah. drive a car. Ah, and you did all five. Um, I, I, I definitely did all three. <laughs> I, did all, I did all three. I didn't leave one of them out. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, so it, the end of the last album and the start of this one, it, it was a really, really, really important point in 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 my life. Um, and I'm speaking, which means I'm important. Right. <laughs> That's it. Um, <laughs> and so I think to understand your assertion that Slayer have never made a track like this, we need to understand what's been happening for the previous few years. And the answer is a fuck of a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not inconsequentially as the album progresses, um, for the first time in Slayer's career, there's no Soviet Union anymore. Sure. Oh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, by the time we get to like SS3, that's going to be notable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, uh, people talk about the 90s being a decade of blandness when nothing really happened. Um, if you were in the UK, um, the only prime minister that I had ever remembered consciously had been unseated. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, the equal, um, but not bettered, longest running president in US history and arguably the most popular um, at the time of his departure had, had also gone. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a new man now so I mean for, for a decade that everyone loves to write off and go it was bland, it was boring and nothing happened a fuck of a lot happened and let's not forget the mighty shaman released Ebenezer Good what the fuck are people talking about here we go doc oh, um, oh go on doc, I'll cut you off um, I was just about to say can you imagine a time in the history of popular culture when nobody would turn a hair to the fact that there was a man on live television at 7.30 in, uh, in the evening saying, he's a good, he's no. a good. <laughs> I know. A great philosopher once wrote, Naughty, naughty, very naughty. <laughs> I listened to um, a, a Star Trek podcast called uh, the The Next Conversation. Um, they're very, very funny guys. I, th I think they're like Hollywood scriptwriters, actually. Um, nothing to do with Star Trek, though, you know. But they're, they're just fans, and a bit like we do in our Doctor Who one. Um, they 
they play the track that was number one in America and number one in, in the UK at the at the time of the broadcast of the episode they're talking about. And not, the, the what episode it was, the shaman, everybody's a good. And they were just fucking baffled by it, Doc. Just genuinely <laughs> baffled. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. It was great. Here we go. <laughs> Because I think the rest of the track needs to be played in its entirety. Two points to make. I fucking love Tom's voice. Slayer's guitars have never sounded better. Um, we mentioned this last week, but hang on. This is my is first. It, is, time. Is, this a te- is this a temporal slip, Doc? When you say last week, is that in two weeks' time? It's non-linear narrative. There we go. All right. Yeah. Uh, look, uh-huh. I know it's only 1994, and cult fiction hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's non-linear narrative. Bear with fair it. Enough, fair enough, fair enough, Doc. If you're not careful, I'm going to get medieval on your ass, man. Um, well, step aside, Butch. <laughs> That's what I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Listeners, listeners don't know this, but Mo has a spectacularly and beautiful bald head at the moment. I do. Um, and I think he, uh, if it wasn't so damn cold, um, I would insist that he changed his clothes and wore a sweaty, oil-stained white vest. Yeah. Well, I threatened to uh, oil my head up and stick it up somebody's arse yesterday at work. Um, and did, did they decline? They did. The fools. Yeah. <laughs> why would they do? Why? Why would no, they do that? Fuck knows. Never mind. Yeah. Um, Go sorry. On, what, what are you saying? We, we got you, sidetracked you, by a bit of by a bit of sculling action. Well, we, we're going to get even more nineties now. Um, <laughs> Because it's almost, it's not quite 1997, but it almost is. Um, I need you to imagine me doing my Alison Hannigan voice when I say, why would anyone do that? Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and now we'll press on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Slayer, um, oh God, how many early 90s references can I get in here? I know. Um, Slayer adhere to what I've referred to in the past as uh, Rocky's Rule of Crap Gyms, mm-hmm. um, which is... I like Slayer better when it sounds like they're operating on a slightly smaller budget and with slightly less time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that sounds there's nothing that sounds hurried here, but they didn't do many takes to get this in the can now, did they? Mm-hmm. And, and you think that was like, a, like fiscally motivated, shall we say? Well, let's say it solved a bunch of problems at once. No record company is ever going to object to a band spending less money. Yeah, true enough. On studio time and production. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, there are two types of people in the world. Well, broad strokes, broad strokes. Yeah. There are musicians who like playing out better than they like being in the studio, and there are musicians who like being in the studio better than they like playing out. I fucking hate the recording. As an engineer, I love the recording process. I think it's fascinating. As a musician, I fucking hate it. Mm. I'm the opposite, Doc. Um, I, I, I love the recording process. Hated the engineering side of stuff, you know. Um, that's really interesting. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You 
but you like playing out as well, didn't you? Oh yeah, I love playing live, of course. Yeah, love playing live. Yeah, but love playing live, love playing in the studio, uh, like recording shits. As soon as it got like the knob twiddling part, oh, I'll go and have a fag, thanks. Um, but I mean, there are lots of musicians, and I'm not disparaging this. It's just a different mm. way that other people prefer to work. Um, and you, you hear sort of stories about guitarists keeping themselves awake for four days because they can't get that one tiny bit of that one solo down precisely the, uh, precisely the way oh, they yeah. want it. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, and then after 300 takes, they decide their third take was actually the best one. Yes. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, and let me put it this way. Given the amount of fucking live shows they played, I'm assuming that the members of Slayer are the kind of people who do not like the knob twiddling. Mm-hmm. Who do not like the over? I, I, I can't even imagine Slayer playing to a click track. Can you? I, I don't. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure about that. But but I've never noticed their name. Their names kind of on any like production credits or anything. So they certainly didn't kind of insist on being involved in that aspect. And, and you would think by album six, seven, eight, they could if they wanted to, couldn't they? I certainly think they could if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, I think they're probably wealthy enough to have built a modest studio of their own. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think they're bothered. Doc, should we crack on with the end of the track? It's about a minute yeah. twenty. It's about a minute twenty to go, and I think this needs to be listened to uninterrupted for maximum effect. Here we go. <laughs> That was track one from Divine Intervention. It is, of course, Killing Fields. Uh, Doc, I think it's a Stone Cold fucking classic. I love, love, love that song. I love the weird introduction, you know, with, with the, the almost like a drum solo, and then into that weird kind of staccato riff with a really kind of odd timing, odd intonation, and then it just blasts off for the last minute and 20 seconds or so. I think it's great. Um, have Slayer ever sounded like they were closer to coming apart at the seams? Well, the, the, I mean, the, 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 towards the end of that, it becomes really chaotic, doesn't it? And it, and it yeah. does feel like it's kind of falling apart. I think the only bit that's equivalent is towards the end of Raining Blood. Raining Blood, sorry. You know, the, the, obviously like the title track from Raining Blood. 
Yeah. Um, that, 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 get, that, that kind of go, veers in that direction too, I think. the rationale behind the very very rough live sounding cut you get of that track you couldn't rehearse that but there's, there's no way you could record that unless you're all playing in the same room at the same time as the yeah well it certainly sounds like it certainly sounds like you know i think i think what i think what they've done i've got no evidence of this i think what they've done you know they've you know they've they've they've, they've, they've played it live together a bunch of times, you know, maybe 20, 30, 50 times, whatever, and they've spliced together the best bits for each instrument, effectively. Interesting. Yeah, that, 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 that's Interesting. what I think is going on, Doc. Yeah. But, but, but however they've done it, I fucking love it. I love the production on this album. Mm. I Me really too. like it because, it because it is a bit more lo-fi. Well, it, it's not lo-fi in any regard, is it really? Because it, it, it's still kind of a high-quality production. But it, it, it's lo-fi in comparison with the last two South albums. Heaven. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I tend towards the lo-fi and the, shall we charitably put it, the budget end of studio production. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, than you do anyway. Uh, whilst also understanding that having the production values of Tallulah Gosh for an Iron Maiden album might not really work that well. Mm. <laughs> it really mm. Well, um, it'd, it'd just be drowned out by Nico McBrain's massive symbols, wouldn't it, Doug? That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, um, it's necessary for listeners to remember. Um, someone once read out to me um, a review from Terrorizer. Um, of the inevitable Norwegian black metal band, and it said, sounds like it was recorded on um, a Fisher-Price tape recorder uh, with two-year-old batteries, which had been wrapped in a pillowcase and put in the wardrobe while the band practised in a different room. (laughs) 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 To which I said, oh, sounds great. What's it called? (laughs) Doc, we're running dead long. We're we're at about one hour 20, and we haven't even got to the fucking lyrics yet. Um, should we do that right now? Yeah. Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Evil Speak. Here we're going to go through the lyrics um, and analyse them in some way. But, Doc, you've got something to say about that, haven't you, for, for today's episode? 
Well, we've we've done this once. Yeah. One of the nice things, um, as you realise by now, we don't practice mm-hmm. or rehearse this at all. So um, Mo and I just take a look at the lyrics and see what we can mine out of them together um, at the moment of reading. And we've already done that, so we've got no sense of spontaneity. Yeah. This, yeah, this is the part of the episode that's going to suffer, isn't it, really? Because you, yeah. you, you can always have fun listening to the track because a cool track's a cool track, isn't it? But but you can't pretend to analyse the lyrics that you've already fucking analysed. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, after two years, maybe, but, I mean, after two weeks, no. Yeah. You, you no. can't pretend not to know stuff that you know. No, it's too um, fresh. So, shall I read the first couple of verses? Go on, Doc. Give us from uh, the first line up to uh, Can I Rip Your Soul Apart, please, sir. You know the feeling when I try to take control. Can't beat the rush that leaves a suicidal hole. It's these best no one destroying the human heart. The taste of blood can rip your soul apart. You know the feeling when adrenaline takes control. Can't beat the rush that leaves a suicidal hole. Instinct spares no one, destroying the human heart. The taste of blood can rip your soul apart. So what did we decide here, Doc? Because I think, I think if I remember correctly, like my take on it um, was that this is like, a, like a, a, a serial killer, or maybe not even a serial killer, but somebody's got a gun. They're holding a gun. Um, and... It's just that kind of moment just before you pull the trigger, basically. And, and it's kind of an analysis of that, of that moment. Well, last time we started off trying to work out what specific crime or what specific event um, this song was about. And what we concluded in the end, it's, it's structured very much in the way that the song South of Heaven is structured. Oh, that's right. So yes, this is your thesis. Effectively, isn't it, you have you have an abstract. You have a statement yeah. of intent in the yeah. first verse. Uh-huh. Then you have you have three pieces of evidence. So you have three different vignettes, um, and then you have a conclusion. Sure. Um, and obviously, in the case of South of Heaven, the the the, the little vignettes are calls forward to other tracks on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think this is. This is an overview of, um, he uses the word suicidal. I think this is the, um, the moment of um, murderous madness. So the taste of blood, he's not being literal there, is he? It's a, there's no kind of, because, you know, for a second there, you're thinking, oh, is this is it like, like a vampiric element to this? That's not literal, is it? That is like the taste of blood, you know actually killing somebody, the taste of, of blood in that regard, right? As, as, as you must, figuratively, you, yeah. You must have experienced this. It, 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 it's, it's a very real thing. Um, I, in terms of chemistry, um, I think that at times of high stress or high emotion, some iron comes out of solution mm-hmm. um, in your blood. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of iron in your saliva. And I think you can taste blood at, that, like, at, at moments of particular fear or anxiety or passion or emotion. Yeah, I really think you, you, you can taste blood. I've never experienced that, but I have but I have read that other people do. And so, of course, I'm prepared to believe that, you know, just because I haven't experienced... I, I can't smell asparagus when I piss after I've eaten asparagus, but some people <laughs> can. You know what I mean? So just because I can't doesn't mean it's not true. 
Yeah, so uh, no, um, I don't think it's about vampires. I don't think it's about cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's it's definitely a real thing that I've experienced. You don't taste blood. What you taste is iron. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Horror writers generally re- re- refer to you, know, you, you, you likes of James Herbert, Sean Hudson, you know, generally refer to the taste of uh, copper when they refer to blood. Yeah. Um, is that fair? If you're an octopus, um, human blood is based on iron, which is why it's rare. Right. Uh huh. Um, octopus blood is based on copper, which is why it's blue. Wow. So, so maybe James <laughs> Herbert and Sean Hudson are, are, are octopi. Is that possible, Doc? Or tentacle, unspeakable tentacle entities like me. Yeah, really question motherfuckers like you. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. Here's the next few lines. Devils that drive us do not discriminate. A state of mind that becomes the ultimate end. Action, reaction, bloodline is not immune to the depth of human nature inside of me and you. The two words I'm drawn to there is bloodline. What's he talking about? Um, the, the, there's, there's, there's a late in the series Hellraiser film called Oh, you're right. <laughs> but I, th- I don't think it's that late. I think that's number four. We'll tear your soul apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's I think it is, terrible yeah. Anyway. yeah, shit, um, absolute shit, yeah. It's, 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 I think that's the, it, it might not be, but there's, there's at least one round about that time where Pinhead gets a job as um, an office worker in a cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I'm not making this up. The, guy, the, 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 guy's, the guy's got the puzzle box. <laughs> The guy's got the puzzle box and he's trying to solve it in his cubicle, in his office. Yeah. And there's an atmospheric shot, the slightly raised position of a long wall of the cubicles. And fucking Pinhead stands up in the cubicle <laughs> behind him. That is great. Yeah. Presumably, like, just before going to share a water cooler moment to discussing yesterday's episode of Friends or something. <laughs> fucking hell, that. that's brilliant. <laughs> Um, there are two things I can think of here. Um, diagenically, du- during the commission of the crime, one's own family are not um, necessarily left out. Um, extra diagenically, I want to say it's a reference to the Malathias Maleficarum, which is the everyone listening to this should know is the Witch Hunter's Manual from the 15th century, mm-hmm. um, produced by, uh, written by two German monks called Spengler and Kremer, I believe. And, and there's a bit this, in that word. And this is w- what the likes of like Matthew Hopkins use as justification to torment women, basically, isn't it? I am Matthew Hopkins, witch finder. Yes. Yeah. yeah definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and uh, the 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 copies of it that were carried over into the New England colonies and um, used as the pretext for um, the persecution of alleged witches there. Sure. Um, so it, it's a lot of the origin of New England Gothic and um, 
Um, there's a passage in that where it's describing what goes on at the witch's Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it describes all the sexual mayhem that goes on. Um, and uh, it says, um, uh, none, uh, it, I think the line might actually be, um, the blood is not immune in these acts. The father does not spare his daughter, nor the son, his mother, nor the brother, his sister. I, I always question when these kind of like puritanical motherfuckers are talking about blood and referring to women. Normally, they're trying to make women feel terrible for the for the desperate crime of menstruation, aren't they? Yeah. Um, there is. I, I've literally got two terms worth of reading list of feminist literature on 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 the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I suppose I could sort of put up in the show notes or something. I, I, I've literally got like thousands of hours um, of reading you can do on this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot in Susan Griffin. There's a lot in... Um, there's, there's, there's just a, a, a lot of this material. Fortunately, there's a lot of source material and, and, and a lot of origin material that people can go to um, and find out about we normally sort of rag on, on, on Catholicism quite a bit in this project. Um, a lot, you're obviously talking about Puritanism, which is by definition Protestant. Mm-hmm. Um, and if possible, the Protestants took the creepy misogyny to a level even beyond Catholicism. Um, the Catholics, you sort of got the idea, they thought women's stuff was bad and wrong, but also kind of cool and sexy. Sure. Well, you know, you know, tell the priests that they're not allowed to, they're not allowed to fuck anybody, and, and then dress the women up in fucking um, fetish gear, basically. Jesus yes. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Catholics are not particularly bashful about their admiration for Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <clears throat> it's. With the outbreak of Protestantism and, and, and specifically the, the, the Dutch version of Calvinism, um, that all of this, um, it's a lot closer to the more barbaric end of Islam in Africa than I think most Europeans um, would really like to admit. But I mean, the, the sort of the wholesale writing off of a whole entire gender um, as being evil and unclean and impure. Sure. Um, I don't like Catholicism very much, but it, it, when, when you're talking about this stuff, I think it's really important to to point out that this was, um, in theory, like my side. Yeah. Um, in theory, that this 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 was the the Protestants. Um, I've kind of jokingly and not quite jokingly sort of referred to myself as a, a Civil War era Puritan. On occasions, yeah, was it? I jokingly refer to myself as a cured Catholic. You know, <laughs> uh, I grew up a Catholic, and uh, and then one day I saw the fucking light, Doc. Um, do you want to hit us with a chorus? Sir? A sociopath with empty eyes and no soul. Paranoid, psychotic, heart of stone. My blood runs cold. So, you know, it's a continuation of a theme in it, Doc. 
something Slayer do quite frequently. Uh, it's a reunion theme. So we've had the introduction. We've had a couple of small um, <clears throat> vignettes. Mm -hmm. And now we have a unifying theme. See, yeah. all of the stuff, it's all the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, assuming we are talking about spree killers or serial killers in the first verse, mm. and Protestant witch burners in the second verse. And mm. then we then so we get this reification, we, we we get this union statement. See, they're both the same. They're both the same fucking thing, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, evils of passion can drive reason to extremes, love, hate, and murder, temporary insanity. On the edge of a demented personality, emotional pain is a deadly reality. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I think we're back in uh, in kind of serial killer territory, aren't we, Doc? No, uh, I think no? we're in. Uh, um, I think we're in uh, L'Empire de crime passionnel. L'Empire de crime passionnel. So the empire of the passion of crime. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the crime of passion. Sorry, the the, the, yeah. passion, the crime of passion. Yeah. Um, just to prove that I know my French pop literature as well. Very good, sir. Mm -hmm. um, très bien, très bien. The marvel. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, in in uh, in the realms of the crime of passion. Yeah. Um, sure. And um, by crime of passion, I understand a person who previously and afterwards. Has no murderous intent at all, but typically catches his partner cheating on him or um, cheating him. Mm -hmm. um, and just for one split second, um, loses their normally very carefully husbanded sense of rationality um, and kills I, somebody. When, when I was doing my teacher training, I had a, I got into a very heated discussion with a lecturer. Um, because he, he said there is no excuse for a teacher ever to strike a pupil or a student. Um, and I said, well, what about if a student spits in your face? Because in my opinion, Doc, I don't know if you share this, but I think there is like a, like a, a, one, a one to three second period after that happens where you have no control of your actions. Um, because it is such a provocative, disgusting thing that's been done to you. I think, I think as a human being, in that moment, you are perfectly entitled to do whatever the fuck you, not, not that you want to do, but whatever the fuck instinctively your body tells you to do to the person who's just done that to you. Yeah, I mean, this is, <laughs> despite what the Home Office would like, to do at the moment this is the whole reason we have trial by jury mm -hmm. um, this is the reason that court that important court cases are decided by grown-up adult experienced mature people mm -hmm. um, and the judge has to ask them if you were in this it, it, you know what, what would you have done in that situation do you think someone is guilty of premeditated murder yeah um and that's why trial by jury is really fucking important mm -hmm. And you know, and the conversation. No, this guy would, would would not have it. No, no. If you strike a pupil, you're wrong. You know, you'll lose your job. Fine. You know, whatever. Somebody just spat in my face. If I then, if I fucking punch them out instantly as a reaction, am I, am I a bad person? I don't fucking think so, Doc. Um, 
I would be curious to know what Bastian would have said if you had instead raised the scenario of uh, what if the student in question had produced a, hidden, a, a previously hidden firearm? Oh, yes, go on. Uh-huh. So, so he whips, instead of spitting in my face, he whips out a gun and I just smack him, out, him out, basically. Yeah, just yeah. smack him out. Yeah. Is that wrong? Yeah, you're right. Because when you go down these like black and white rule roads, people inevitably go to extreme examples to, to kind of prove that you're wrong. And, and, and you've just found a great one, Doc. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's a bit personal to me because I mean, I, I, I really, really try not to commit violence or sanction violence. But sure. Um, last year, uh, in the autumn time, there was a very, very badly fucked up man. Um, I don't know precisely what he was fucked up on. Um, but he was on the railway station, getting dangerously close to the edge of the platform. And I thought, um, you know, I'm going to have to knock this chump out. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to put him on his back. Mm-hmm. It won't take much. He's nearly there already. But he's going to go over the Like, if I, if I don't knock him out, he's going to go over the edge of the platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as it happened, I was saved a difficult choice because he passed out on, on, on a bench all by himself. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would very, very happily have done what needed to be done. Yeah, you do um, what needs to be done in the circumstances. But that's different, yeah. though, Doc, than, than the person spitting in your face because you're analysing a situation and then <laughs> taking you know, action that you deem appropriate upon reflection. Was the spit in the face, mate? The response is immediate. There is no reflection. It's pure, pure instinct. And that's why I brought up the story because you, you, you've got kind of something a bit similar, but for two, uh, for, for two completely different reasons. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, if I'd have done that, if the if I'd have done that, likely I would have had to have gone to magistrate's court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I imagine you, you would have been in in a, in a little bit of in a, in a little bit of trouble. Um, and if you'd accepted the verdict of the magistrate's court, that might have been that that might have been a three month custodial sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the alternative was to let him fall onto the tracks and potentially get kind of cut, kind of sliced apart by a fucking train. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, this is when you're dealing with crimes like things that people describe as crimes of passion, which I I, I fervently believe exist. Um, I think there are people who commit one murder, just once, that's unmistakable, no, that's that's unmistakably a, a killing, that's unmistakably a, a homicide or a manslaughter, mm-hmm. if you will. I, I, I don't think it's murder, I don't think it's premeditated or planned, mm. um, because it's typically followed by the person turning themselves into a police station. Sure, of course, Doc, yeah, of course. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's something we've talked about many times on previous Slayer albums. Um, Slayer talk about it a lot, and it's how, like, one one bad decision, one bad influence, being in the wrong place at the wrong time just once can have catastrophic results. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of the more, I suppose, the more kind of rough or dangerous a neighbourhood you kind of live in or dwell in, exist in, the more potential for one of those moments to actually arise, unfortunately. Um, yeah, maybe. Or, um, I mean, let's, let's just go back to the scenario we're talking about. There's, there's a whole bunch of what ifs. You know, like, what if 
you hadn't forgotten that really important report that you left on the kitchen table that morning and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had to have gone back to your house and you wouldn't have caught your wife at it. Oh, yeah. If you hadn't, <laughs> have, if you hadn't, if you hadn't have done that, likely the affair would have run its course and finished all by itself. Nobody would have had their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different thing to... Um, well, no, it isn't a completely different thing. What if I hadn't decided to go into that convenience store at that moment when there was an armed robbery taking place? Sure, yeah. It, 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 um, it's, it's sliding doors, isn't it, Doc? It's sliding doors. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, we're running long, Doc. Here we go. Let, let, get the last few lyrics. A choice is made, a free will, just like a choice to kill. Decision to lose control, myself destructive, rational. The choice is made, made a free will, just like the choice. The choice to kill, in the speed of a moment, lies and still. Now you're standing in my killing field. A choice is made of free will, just like the choice to kill. Decisions to lose control, my self-destructive rationale. A choice is made, made of free will, just like the choice, the choice to kill. In the speed of a moment, life stands still. Now you're standing in my killing field. Here we go. So the moment's come, hasn't it, basically? Um, But here, you know, Tom seems to be suggesting, you know, this isn't spontaneous. This is premeditated. This is, this has been thought about. Um, or is this something? Is is this yet another? Each each vignette has had a verse to itself up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something else we're talking? In the last episode, this is the part that I believed was um, about like um, a, a, a spree killer. Sure. Um, and it's there's um, uh, there's a lot of. Um, egregious libertarianism in here which i don't think is accidental at all there's like repeated references to choice and repeated reference to free will sure i think tom might be referring to a man who's actually in the room at the time <laughs> yeah are you, are you talking about one uh, kk yeah yeah, yeah. Um, do you think maybe he's do you think kerry king's middle name also begins with k doc well, I mean, in in the light of that track from last week, it wouldn't necessarily surprise you. Would there it? we go. Just a thought that occurred. Go on, go on, sir. You, might, you think it might be Kerry Gal King? Conrad. Conrad. Yeah. I was thinking Kerry yeah. Conrad King with a K. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and so. I don't want to read too much into the fact that he's used choice three times and free will once in the same two lines mm-hmm. um except to say that i think that comp- all, all of that stuff was put there for a reason yeah well you, you, you don't want to say but, you, but you're saying it anyway uh, no i don't want to say it's absolutely doubtless right that that's what the song is about sure doc um i'll just pull in your leg a little bit okay yeah that's um, all. don't worry I'm saying all of those words are there in that two-line couplet, and mm-hmm. very few other words are there. That's um, true. At the very least, there's nothing in that verse that says anything such as, the devil made me do it, or I did it for the state, yeah. or I was only obeying orders. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like that. <laughs> um, it explicitly says, um, there was a choice. Um, 
it was made off free will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've That's misheard all. a lyric here for, 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 ever since the album came out because I thought it said, in the speed of a bullet, life stands still, which I think is much more poetic. And makes more sense. And makes more sense, though, because I've, I've misheard it and actually improved. Come on, Tom, do better. Um, well, see, a moment is a unit of time and yeah. speed is displacement with respect to time. Sure. So you can't have you can't have displacement with respect to time as a function of time. It's bad physics. I'll believe you, Doc. I will believe you. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> um, should we move on? Yes, please. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to give her our final thoughts and stuff, eh, we? Um, writing credits, music, uh, Mr. Kerry King, lyrics, Mr. Tom Araya. According to Setlist Doc, this was played 112 times, putting it in 54th position. Um, first play, SFX Hall in Dublin. Um, last play, Five Points Music Hall, Birmingham, Alabama. I forgot to get the dates for that stuff. And I'm going to do it now, so whatever. Um, according to Loudwire, they put this, check this doc, out of 118 Slayer songs, they put this in 106th position. Um, what? And they, exactly, that, that is the correct, the correct reaction. And they say Slayer's rich history of opening albums with scorching tracks met an abrupt end in 1994. On Killing Field, Slayer seemed out of ideas thanks to the song's aimless riffs and a tired vocal performance from Tom Araya. His phrasing is clunky and uninspired, leaving little to be excited about when fans first hit play on Divine Intervention. That was written by somebody called Joe DeVita. I'm sorry, Joe. I, I literally don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I disagree with every single word of your brief review. Well, I think he what, what he means is one of a couple of different possibilities. Um, it doesn't sound like the last album. It ain't what I, it ain't what I expected, eight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Tom's vocals, I think Tom's vocals are shot because I think they're probably... I'm coming around to your opinion. I think they've probably done a bunch of takes of this in about three hours or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his voice is probably about to pack it. I don't think it's it a bit scratchy. Tight. His vocals yeah. are a bit scratchy, but but I just think it adds to the, like, the abrasive nature of it. I think it's perfect. Yes. Um, I, I mean, in um, put my software hat on for a second. Uh, it's a feature, not a bug. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, sorry. Mr. Reviewer, chap. Don't, don't, wrong. We, Just wrong. We, Doc, any final we, thoughts? We normally get on quite well with uh, Loudwire. Oh, normally, don't. from time to time, they, they, they throw a curveball. I don't think they're like Jesus saved today. That's one that seems to stick in my head that they no, didn't I mean, like I, very much. I've, I've got no... I, I absolutely support everyone being able to have their own opinion as long as they agree with me. Well, <laughs> it wasn't uh, Jesus. No, it was temptation. It was temptation. They hated temptation. Yeah, and we and we we fucking raved about it. But there you go. You know, each to their own. It's perfectly okay to be wrong, Joe. It's perfectly okay. You know. Um, any final thoughts, Doc? It's it's a great opening track. Yeah. Um, 
the, the final thoughts. I really regret losing that um, that first take that we did on the mm. song. Um, listeners should note we went off on one of our usual wild tangents and talked about um, the events at Ruby Ridge and the events at the Branch Davidian oh, um, right. compound in Waco, Texas. Um, which I imagine, were... though, Doc, it's it's not the end of the world because I imagine that in the next seven or eight albums, Slayer are going to give us the opportunity to talk about those things again. It could happen, couldn't it? It could happen, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't, I really, really regret, like, not having uh, grabbed that, but um, uh, it, what can you say? It's a great track. Mm. Um, it's, I'm going to chalk it up as one of those tracks that's great without being particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, to begin with, there are no solos, are there? There's one solo, and, and it kind of in, but it, but it's not like a full fledged solo. It's it, like a mini solo, basically. Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of minute by minute. I'm getting more sympathy with the guy. I don't agree with him, but I'm getting more and more sympathy with the guy who wrote that review. Mm-hmm. There aren't many bits in this song that are the bits that you go to Slayer for, are there? I disagree. That, that last one minute 20, to me, that's pure Slayer. I think a Slayer, and I, yeah, that's one that's in like the fucking database. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that last, that, that, that last, the, it kind of hits, kind of hits the, hits the, the snare drum and then suddenly it starts double, double basing and the guitars kick in. And we're off into like the final stretch of the track. That to me, that is ju- that is pure Slayer, man. I fucking love it. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I never think of that um, borderline losing control, but not quite edge of panic mm-hmm. stuff to be particularly to, to be particularly Slayer at all. Mm. Um, but that's only the, like, the last 15 seconds or so, 15, 20 seconds. So you've got, yeah. like, got this minute build-up to that, and it just crescendos and, and then just kind of starts to fall apart, and, the, and then they just finish the track just at the right point before it does descend into proper chaos. Um, yeah, um, yeah it, it's definitive for me, mate. Oh, fucking hell. Um, another um, one of our really quite rare agreeing to differ moments. Yeah, you're right, man. Are, are you um, ready to pronounce, Doc? I think I am. Go on then. And here's the funny thing: for the first time ever, I know your score, and I wonder if you remember, and if you'll match up to the last time you scored it. Oh, this is a good experiment, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm going to say eight out of ten. So, well, last time you gave it seven, but we have to stick with your <laughs> final answer is final, as it were, um, and. Eight out of ten for the doc. I'm going as I did previously. To me, doc, it's just a straight ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. It's a straight ten out of ten. I fucking love this song. It's it's it does it it does everything I want a Slayer track to do, and I love the production on it. Yep, ten out of ten, doc. There we go. It has been decided. There you go. There we go. Um, so. Obviously, next track on the album is... Mm. Yeah, well, it, 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 oh, exactly. We've kind of got to do a bit of time shifting here in our heads, haven't we? Because here's yeah. the outro, 
that about does it for this episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercaster and email at satanicvercast.gmail.com. And for the Join us next time. Hang on. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the second track from Divine Intervention, which is sex, murder, art. But of course, Doc, we've already recorded that. For us, our next slide record will be Ditto Head. But for the listener, sex, murder, art. It's been a joy, Doc. I've really enjoyed this. Um it is strange, isn't it? Kind of doing an episode twice. It, 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 it doesn't. It, it don't feel normal. It's wrong. It's wrong. Uh, it's just wrong. As, as, um, as our friend Mark um, once said, when he'd had a beer or two too many and was imitating his auntie, I know what's right and what's wrong, but that's wrong. <laughs> well, Mark, I'll give you a couple of classic Markisms if you want. Um, one was. By the time I'm 40, you'll find me in, sitting in the corner of the pub, sink, stinking <laughs> of gin and bad luck. <laughs> great. And, and it, he also said, terribly, actually, um, you know, th- th- there's only one way to fuck a woman. That's one, one hand round the neck. Can I the stop you for a second? Go on, stop. That was his answer to the question, what's your favourite position? Oh, really? Yes. Right, all right. There's only one way to fuck a woman, one hand round the neck, the other on your wallet. What a fucking... <laughs> um, <laughs> what a, what, a, what this, a terrible, terrible man. A fine human this, being the at the way, same time. This, by the way, is also the man who decided <coughs> to quit drinking once. And shortly, shortly afterwards, he was sitting in a pub at lunchtime with his arms round his pint, blubbing into it and going, I'll never leave you again. <laughs> 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 yeah, a, 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 a fine man, a very strange individual. We we, we love we love Mark, you see, don't we? Yes. Yeah, man. We done, Doc. We are absolutely. I think we are. See you next time. Bye bye.